I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My name is Captain Daniel Harris, and my years of service in Special Forces Unit have led me into countless harrowing situations. Still, nothing could have prepared me for the chilling mission beneath the abandoned Tuffelsberg radar station in Berlin. On the surface, our objective seemed straightforward. Locate the hidden Cold War, era bunker rumored to contain classified secrets capable of reshaping modern geopolitics. The mission's shroud of secrecy and aura of historical enigma fueled our anticipation. Our elite team, well-versed in urban exploration, moved with calculated precision as we descended into the depths of the decaying radar station. The air was heavy with the acrid scent of dampness and decay and our footsteps reverberated through the dimly lit corridors. Our headlamps cast eerie, flickering shadows on the graffiti-laden walls, remnants of the station's past. We finally reached a substantial steel door, cleverly concealed behind a faux wall which led into a sprawling underground complex. It was here, in the heart of this clandestine subterranean world, that we confronted a chilling enigma. 
As we entered a spacious chamber, we were confronted by a creature that defied all explanation. Standing at an imposing height of nearly eight feet, it possessed the torso of a man. Yet its limbs and head were reminiscent of a massive wolf or dog. Its fur was a tangled mass of dark ashen gray, and its eyes emitted an unsettling, malevolent glow. Before we could react, the creature sprang upon us with astounding speed and ferocity. In the ensuing pandemonium, two of my comrades succumbed to the beast's savage claws, their agonized cries resonating through the underground chamber. The rest of us fought desperately to shield our fallen comrades and repel the assailant. After what seemed like an eternity, the creature withdrew, having seemingly completed its mission to protect the hidden bunker. It darted into the labyrinthine passageways, disappearing into the depths, leaving behind a scene of unspeakable horror and sorrow. We regrouped, our faces reflecting the shock and confusion that the unfathomable encounter had inflicted upon us. Despite our unnerving experience, our orders remained resolute. Find the bunker and unveil its long-guarded secrets. Though haunted by the memory of the dogman and the comrades we had lost, we proceeded with our mission. Upon reaching the heart of the bunker, we uncovered a trove of classified documents and artifacts from the Cold War era. The treasure trove contained intelligence and technology capable of reshaping the geopolitical landscape. Our mission was an unequivocal success. Reluctantly, we made contact with our general, relaying the inconceivable encounter with this dogman type of thing. His response was fraught with skepticism, urging us to focus on the task at hand and leave the tales of monsters to folklore. Despite the doubts of our superiors, we knew the veracity of our experience beneath Tufelsberg. We resolved to resume our search for the enigmatic creature, driven by a determination to unearth the truth regarding its origins and purpose. Whether the dogman was a product of Cold War experimentation or a more sinister force, our encounter continued to haunt our thoughts as we ventured further into the shadowy depths of the concealed bunker. Hello. My name is Arnold, and I was contacted by my doppelganger. I know it sounds crazy that I am still alive, but hear me out. Not even a month ago, I was very skeptical about all of this mythology and urban legend stuff. I never thought that a Wendigo would be real or Bigfoot, and certainly not doppelgangers. This all changed when the start of this month I was out looking for a story to write about. I'm a journalist for my local news branch which I will keep anonymous. I was told by this elderly woman that she has been experiencing weird and supernatural stuff around her small ranch, which was about ten minutes outside of the city. She said, I keep hearing voices and cries of my children outside, begging to come in. My kids died years ago in a house fire. I know I'm not crazy. Can you investigate? You're my last hope because the police just think I'm old and senile. I wrote all of this down, including her address. I expressed concern, but at the time it was a feign. I didn't believe a lick of what she said, since to me this stuff was all explained by science. But in case there were some pranksters or whatever, I decided to pack up some supplies I bought years ago. You see, when I was younger, my father and I used to go bow hunting in the woods behind his house. 
A year ago at night, I was spending the night there as we plan on tracking this giant buck that kept walking near the home. I remember the night he went missing since I had an emergency at work. He and I were sitting there drinking coffee and remembering the good old days of when I was a teen, how he and I used to hunt every weekend and how we always brought something back home to eat. I can see now the smell of dark roasted Folgers coffee on the pot with slightly stale Walmart donuts. I was flipping through a book that had that old book smell, you know. It was a great night. However, around midnight, my boss and editor called me on an emergency. Turns out a kid went missing a year ago, and they just found her, and they had the first interview with her. It was going to be with me since I was the most experienced with trauma cases. I packed my stuff and hugged my dad. Where are you going, son? We got a big prize tomorrow morning. Are you going to be back by then? He looked at me slightly worried, but I said, of course. We've been tracking it since Mom died. I won't miss this for the world. Just my job called on a huge interview, and they need me. He looked at me, nodded, and I walked out the door. I could sworn I saw him cry a little, but that's hindsight looking back. After the interview, I went back home and set an alarm for 4 a.m. This was so I can wake up in time to go to my dad's and start packing up. When I woke up, it was noon, and I was extremely late. I rushed to the cabin and saw a note my dad left on the door. I wish you were here, but honestly, I'm glad you didn't show up. I love you, son, and I'm going to get this son of a bitch. Stay here and wait. I left coffee on warm for you. I smiled at the note I saw and how he still thinks of me as his little boy despite me being twice his size. Hours went past and it was getting dark out. I started to panic when I heard gunshots not far from home. I rushed out with my rifle and followed the noise. The thick bush made it harder and harder to see as the rich vegetation was swallowing the light. I finally got to where the sounds were and it stopped. Instead, I heard something cry out, help me, and it wasn't my dad's voice. I ran back to the cabin at full speed. At this point, the sky was pitch black with a little moonlight shining through the trees. I can hear a large creature chasing me, but I never looked back. As I got to the cabin, I heard another gunshot and my dad yelling one final time, Run, boy! Get the F out of here! Hey, you big dumb animal, come here! That was the last thing I heard my father say. I heard screams in the distance as I kept running, and in the morning, the police showed up and found my father's clothes and his severed arm. They said it was a bear attack, which I was so blinded by grief I kept believing until recently. When I arrived at the old woman's home, she greeted me with coffee or tea. I took coffee. I could recognize the smell from anywhere. Folger's dark roast, I said after taking a deep whiff. Well, did you know? She asked with a warm smile. Well, my father used to make us coffee every day after my mother passed away. It was a bonding thing, so this is a sweet delight. She asked, oh, that's good. Do you and your dad spend time often? I looked down at the floor and sniffled a little, because thinking of the night was something of a nightmare. Now, no, he went missing a year ago, and I haven't had coffee since. But it's a nice gesture and makes me a little happier. She covered her mouth and apologized, but I waved it off, as it wasn't her fault since she didn't know. I got to know her name after sitting a while, Agatha Christie. 
She has been on the ranch ever since she was a girl, but it's more of a home than a farm nowadays. She said she has a ranch hand that comes out once a day to feed the animals and help her sell the ones ready. However, it's been almost a week, and he hasn't come to work. She's afraid the creatures outside that have been attacking her livestock scared him away. She looked at me and asked if I brought cameras and other things to help find what is causing her all this pain. These things call out to her at night, and she has a few recordings. Nothing on camera, just a voice from a tape recorder. She played the most recent tape. For about a minute, it was something calling out, Mom, I'm cold, let me in. At first, it sounded like a child. Agatha was in tears as she was playing this back. That's my boy. That's his voice, she said, covering her mouth. I grabbed the handkerchief and gave it to her for her eyes. Now we know something is out there messing with you. I will set up a few cameras to see what is going on. She hugged me and thanked me. I just want all of this to go away, she said silently. I stood up after a few more minutes of getting details about the property. On the south side of the barn was a fence line that stretched for about 100 yards. I placed one camera every 25 yards and on every corner. These cameras were top of the line motion sensing and night vision cameras. With full fork capability and nay bulletproof glass. Then I set one up on each facing an entrance to the home. After about an hour of setting it up, we were all set since they were all synced and ready to go. Agatha looked a lot happier than someone is here with her. She locked all the doors and windows and let me stay the night so I can monitor the cameras. In the middle of nowhere, she didn't have internet, but I brought a portable Wi-Fi box to do some research and keep up with my friends who wanted to play some MTGEDADH tonight. After my first game playing my mono green Eldrazi deck, Don't Hate Me, I got a notification on the cameras. One was going crazy saying something is moving. I pulled the camera up and watched the feed. It was a deer. Thank God, just a dumb deer, ha-ha. I laughed it off, but then something strange started to happen. It stared right into the camera and slowly walked toward it. This was odd, but deer sometimes sniff and check out wrong. Shit, so I assumed that's what it was doing. As it got closer, I started to notice something was off. It looked like a deer, but had human eyes and blinked irregularly. Every step that it took was wobbly and its legs were backward. Now I know some diseases infect deer to make them look emaciated and do weird shit like run in circles. But this deer just looked in the camera lens as if it were looking at me. It stared at the camera, and when I saw its full face, it had razor-sharp teeth. What the F is that I said quietly. It somehow heard me and snapped its head to the house I was in and smiled showing rows of sharp teeth. Some were gnarled and twisted. What the F is that? I said in a hushed tone. It then lowered itself and twisted its neck toward the camera to show some psychotic smile as it crouched into a stance that was spider-like and began darting toward the home. I quickly got up and grabbed the pistol that I brought in, in case Agatha wasn't lying. Speaking of which, she rushed into my room, crying that it's going to eat me. Please stop it. I hid her behind me and closed the door, slowly walking to the front door, where this thing was pounding its head into it. Each hit got harder and harder, louder and louder. 
The thumping left a thick paste on the windows that was black and smelled of rot. The sickening smell and the sound of squelching meat slapping on the door were making my stomach churn. Before I got to the end of the steps, I heard a voice. It sounded like mine saying, I'm here to help. Please don't fire. You will only attract it more. I looked toward the kitchen where the sound was coming from. Before I was. Me. But knew it and without any discernible male features. It stood there. A doppelganger. My instincts were flaring up with every ounce of me, telling me to run or drop a whole magazine into its chest. Don't fire, trust me. I don't want you or Agatha to be hurt. Your father sent me over a year ago to protect you from this not dear. This thing killed your father and mother and now is gunning for you. I was so confused at the time, but also scared shitless. What the F did you say? My father died last. Before I can finish, it cut me off. He did die last year, and before he did, I fought the not dear off. This thing attacked your father, not me, and not a bear. Our doppelgangers don't look like the ones we're trying to kill or replace, but the ones we're trying to protect, I felt. Unease not from the copycat, but from the not deer calling my name as if it was my father, let me in, son, I miss you. It said in my father's tone and affection, but a little off, and it was noticeable enough. Okay, I won't shoot. But how the F do we kill that thing? I pointed the gun at the door that was slowly losing its stability. I will handle it. Go upstairs and don't come back down until sunrise. Once it's quiet and the sun is out, go to the edge of the property by the forest. I will speak there. I trusted it. It was life or death, and this was the best thing I can do. I ran upstairs and locked the door Agatha and I was in. We heard the door burst down and heard the two things fighting. Downstairs, yelling and growling were being drowned out by the sound of bones crunching in flesh being ripped and muscle being snapped like rubber bands. It was 8 a.m. when the sound stopped and I heard the door close. After about 30 minutes, Agatha fell asleep and I gathered the courage to open the door and walk downstairs. The walls and floor were covered in blackish-green blood and viscera. The smell made me vomit, but the head of the not deer lay on the floor, rotting away at an alarming pace. I kept my whir and walked to the edge of the forest. There I saw my doppelganger slowly appear out of the forest and prop itself against a log. It had a few bruises and cuts, but was mostly fine. I told you I'll protect you. I promised your dad. I didn't know what to say other than I. What are you? Why do people say you kill the people you look like? It looked at me and laughed a little before Audible readjusting its arm back into its socket. There's a lot you don't know. Your dad was a killer of cryptids, and I was his guardian before he died. We protect, but when the person dies, we move on to the next of kin. Doppelgangers serve as a distraction to the potential dangers of the world, and you are from a long line of cryptid killers. I took a step back as my memory started to flood me. I repressed so much, but I remember the things my dad and I hunted were all cryptids. Wendigos, not deer, werewolf, skunk ape, and even lesser known ones like the Grafton Monster. I was so in shock my ears started to ring, and the doppelganger rushed by me to keep me from falling. I shook out of it, and it looked at me with black eyes. Are you okay? 
it asked with a worried expression. Yeah, I am okay. I pinched the space between my eyebrows as a headache was climbing. After a short talk, I was convinced it was going to keep me and Agatha safe. However, this ranch has a darker secret, and it wants to see why so many cryptids are attached and attracted to it. That's where I am at now, researching this little home ranch. I will find something. I must find something. Until I do stay tuned, and good luck out there. Oh, and if you see a doppelganger, do not be afraid, as it could save your life. On Saturday, July 152,023, I was at my girlfriend of two years' house. She has a decent backyard, partially open and surrounded by dense woods. Keep in mind, Michigan. The state I live in has some pretty large forests. She has two fire pits in her backyard, one not in the woods and the other in a small clearing in the woods. I walk to get some more firewood from the clearing in the woods to bring up the second fire pit. As I'm collecting, I look up and see two eyes staring down at me. I stand up straight, and this thing is literally eye to eye with me. I'm six foot seven. I'm stands completely still. For the few seconds I look, I can only see a thin body. I haul my butt back to the fire pit, and my girlfriend can tell I'm clearly panicked. She asks me what's wrong, and I tell her clearly what just occurred. She seems iffy, doesn't believe in paranormal occurrences, but believes me. She convinces me to sit with her by the fire and that it was probably just a large animal. About 25 minutes later, the fire is dying down, and suddenly an adult male scream pierces through the air, and it sounds like it came from the forest. We haul butt, leaving the fire smoldering. We stay inside for the rest of the night, and nothing else occurs. Her dad hypothesized it was a deer. He was out of town at the time. It was in the summer around dusk, and I was camping at a remote campground with my dad. There was a lake right next to the grounds, and my dad and I would trail blaze through the forest, right next to the lake, because if you went far enough, there was a really pretty waterfall. A few strange things happened on this hike. We found a slash pile that had a little kid shoe on top. When we came to a small clearing, my dad had to take a leak to you. He faced one side of the clearing, and I faced the other, and we both clearly heard a child say, I'm over here. My dad thought it was me, and when he realized it wasn't, we spent half an hour looking for someone, but we found nobody. After that, we gave up on going to the waterfall and started to make our way back to camp, but there were clear sounds of something following us, twig snapping, bushes shaking. We hadn't been camping there since. I was walking around my neighborhood alone once, enjoying the night air and watching the stars. There was this little pond near my house with a wooded area that had trees, a bench, and a rope swing that went out over the water. I sat down on the bench to look at the stars, and I heard some rustling off to my right towards the trees. Bears were not uncommon where I'm from, so I took out my flashlight and shone it around over there. I didn't see anything. 
It freaked me out, so I kept my flashlight on and my senses aware, but I stayed on the bench to mull over my thoughts and watch the sky some more. I don't know why I did that, because that's typical horror movie shit. Anyway, a few minutes pass, and I near nothing more, so I lean back into the bench and start to relax a bit. I'm staring up at the sky with my flashlight pointed downwards, so as not to create any light pollution. When I noticed something in the tree in my peripheral vision, I couldn't tell what it was, but the branch was swaying slightly, and the rustling noise was back too. I immediately sat up and stared at it, but hadn't shown my flashlight at it yet in case of pissing off some huge bird or something else. I don't think I've ever been that scared. I remember my heart was beating so fast and I could taste blood. I stared at it for what seemed like forever, and it slowly stopped moving. But the shape was still there. Bears do climb trees sometimes. So I was hesitant to run away in case that's what it was. So I just kept staring at it. After a while, I mustered up the little raisin, Escahunis to shine my goddamn light at the tree. It was a man. A man. In the tree. Crouched in the tree like some silent, naked monkey. He had no expression on his face, but his eyes were open. Really, really wide. When my light landed on him, he started to move like he was going to come down. But I didn't stick around to see if he did. I jumped the bench and ran for the hills. I ran to my house and around to the back door and locked myself in without looking back once. I went around and made sure every window and door was locked. I even checked the attic. I never go out alone anymore. I've done multiple tours to Iraq as of now and served in the last Gulf War in Afghanistan. I've seen all kinds of combat up close, but this is an extremely personal story about my own life that I've never told anybody in as much detail. I'm currently in the reserve, so being called up is not an issue, but this is something that I kind of hesitate to tell. I'll start by introducing myself. My name is Brian. I'm currently 54, a U.S. Army National Guard veteran. Previous to the Iraqi war, I was in active duty for roughly five years until I was discharged with an injury. I am also a former U.S. Army Ranger who has seen over 18 years of active duty in the military alone, five of which were in Afghanistan. I probably should have been more specific. The rest were spent deep in the jungle in jungle warfare training as well as engineer courses to improve various infrastructures all throughout the world. I will be sharing a story with you guys that I've never told anybody. It's not just a ghost story. It's something much more. The story takes place in 2002. I was stationed in Iraq. I had deployed alongside my brother, who was also serving in the U.S. Army Infantry Unit that took part in the initial invasion of Iraq. The majority of my unit was stationed there. We were working on rebuilding the local structures and bringing order to the cities. It was a relatively quiet tour, but we weren't without our share of action. I was involved in several engagements with the enemy, and even a few with what I can only describe as unknown humanoids. My brother's unit was stationed in the city of Tikrit, which was being used as a base for training new Iraqi soldiers. These guys on the ground were doing some very important work, and they needed a place to stay where they could rest and train. 
I was brought into my unit because I was a demolitions expert with an additional engineering background. My sergeant had asked me to come in because they needed somebody who could blow up buildings while simultaneously rebuilding them metaphorically, of course, not literally. So I was brought on the team where I was given a special set of engineering tools to meet the needs of. My new unit. After much discussion, I was told when we were done on our task, I would be transferred to Tickred as a permanent member of my brother's unit. So one day, as I was working on the various infrastructure at the City Hall building, waiting for my brother's unit to arrive, something happened. I don't know how to describe it accurately, so I'll just come right out with it. These flying entities, which reminded me of angels, descended down upon the town. The entities were looking something like large, eight-foot-tall humanoids. They looked like beings wrapped in garbs and had large wings. It appeared as if they were looking for something. I just tried my best to ignore it as I could and focus on my job. The worst thing you could do in the military is become distracted. Kind of impossible with this happening. A lot of the people were, of course, gasping, but many of them were not even phased. They didn't even just descend down and start hovering. They flew in but were very visible. Like I said, they were looking for something. I'll be as basic about it as I can be. They look like winged humanoids. I just continued to try and focus on my work since I had a job to do. I was on the roof of the city hall building when you're on the top of any building. You can see for miles. I was working on an antenna tower when I heard somebody yelling at me in the street. I was a level above the streets, so people normally don't look up to find you unless they need something. He waved me down, and when I get to the edge, he tried telling me something in Arabic. I can only say a few words like knowing yes in Arabic, so I just continued to try and climb down the ladder. As I got closer, he began speaking in English in an American accent, actually, and he said, I know why they're here. Who? I asked him and tried to act naive and into it. He began telling me that the people of this town were going to die, that they had brought this upon themselves. He said they were an aberration and we should stop living in sin. I asked him what he meant and he told me that these beings were sent down to annihilate us because we had let ourselves go. We had allowed things that shouldn't have been allowed and we need to put it into it. I couldn't understand what was happening. He then said he would be able to help me escape, but I had to go with him now. I figured at this point things were getting a little crazy with everything happening, so I continued to try and ignore it all. These figures had disappeared to another section of the city, and the man who was yelling at me had now disappeared. Other soldiers were talking about the sightings amongst themselves, but I tried my best to pay no attention to any of this and just continue to follow my orders. I was staying at my brother's unit, since he had chosen for me to come in and train with his unit. They were all stationed in a nearby city, so they knew it very well and were able to guide me. I told my brother what had happened that day. He didn't seem surprised. I asked him what he thought those beings were, and he said they're called Jenny. They disguise themselves as angels and trick many of the men around there. They're like genies, but not in the form of humans and bottles like many people think. They are entities that reside in another realm and can only interact with us when they choose to do so, taking on a physical manifestation. They sometimes bring messages from the future. 
He told me there were two other jinn that lived in the area. These are demonic beings that can bring terrible wrath upon mankind. They only take physical form when they have something to do. They're able to control and play with the human mind. They are not to be taken lightly. I couldn't believe what was happening. Nothing made sense. I was just simply trying to do my job, and now I've been dragged into this whole strange alien conspiracy thing that did not even make any sense. Now, what was I supposed to do? Keep doing my job and not saying anything. Well, to make a very long story short, after returning from the tour, I just felt different, like I knew things that others didn't. I'm unsure of how to describe this feeling inside of me. I've lived with it for years now, and of all my time serving, this was the only one that really reached into the left field for me. Honestly, I never got a conclusive identity on whatever it was I saw, so sharing it actually might help with that. This was about a year old, late August 2022, and I was fishing on Cold Lake, right on the border between Alberta and Saskatchewan. I had one of my most productive fishing days ever there, and kept a few wally to cook for dinner since I bought the tags for them. I tented on the north end of the lake, east of the North Bay cabin, since I don't really like campgrounds much. It was probably about 5, 6 p.m. when I set up camp and got the fire going. I do remember I still fished from the bank for an hour or so until I eventually got dinner going. During that period is when I remember first hearing a lot more noises out of the tree line before. Not anything out of the ordinary, mostly just birds and the occasional squirrel. Eventually, I started to get the feeling of something watching me, which actually got me a bit more worried than what I'd usually be is my first thought, albeit not the most rational one, was a cougar. I know what it feels like to be watched by one. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's uncomfortable to say the absolute least and a terrifyingly surreal experience at worst. Each time I looked back, there wasn't anything watching me that I saw. Eventually, I lost interest and began supper, which is when the sounds of the forest largely stopped. Things felt cold, dead. The forest felt dead. Now even more on guard about a possible cougar or bear, I moved away from the tree line and closer to the shore as there was a bit of flat ground forming, almost like a beach. I didn't have a firearm at the time, but I did have a can of bear spray on my chest, which moved to my hand. There still wasn't anything visible through the tree line, but the faint sound of what could be footsteps cut through the silence of the forest. In all reality, it was less footsteps and more the sound of an animal moving through the brush that was heard. Weirdly enough, it sort of relaxed me, as a cougar likely wouldn't be so carelessly loud, at least it did for a moment. 
Aware that I was rather vulnerable in my position, I did begin backing up my stuff. Thankfully, my tent wasn't set up yet. Back in my bag and got near the kayak. What I saw when I looked back up at the tree line not even 20 feet in front of me, however, was likely the most terrifying yet uniquely beautiful moment of my life. Standing upright half behind a tree was a tall, maybe seven feet, dark humanoid thing, vaguely like a Sasquatch, but much thinner, closer to the proportions of a human, covered in reddish brown hair or fur. All I could see was its body above the waist, though its arms seemed to extend further down. I couldn't make out much features, though the eyes appeared vaguely yellowish. Oddly enough, after the initial shock wore off, it didn't seem threatening. If anything, I want to say it was. Curious? What I'm about to say next defies all common logic, all human reason. But as someone standing face to face with what could have been death itself... I raised my arm in the air. The best way I could describe this scene is if anybody has ever watched the fantastic Mr. Fox, the scene at the end with the wolf. That's the closest thing I could compare it to. The creature didn't come any closer, nor did it make a sound, but instead oddly attempted to mimic me, raising its long, thin arm in the air before setting it back down and walking back into the tree line. What I saw that day, the creature I witnessed, led me to reevaluate my opinions towards these animals, that they weren't just animals. These are intelligent creatures, and the time it took to kayak back to civilization immediately afterwards, and the time since then has only reaffirmed my belief in that. Of all the encounters people have had with what could be a Sasquatch, I'm glad mine became almost a positive memory. Whatever I saw that day left an impression on me, human, Sasquatch, whatever. I went to college in the prairie country of Minnesota. There wasn't a whole lot of public ground, but there were a few pretty large swamps that kept people out. Scouting the edge of the corn in October, I found an absolutely torn-up corner of the field next to one of these swamps. Great rubs everywhere, and a trail straight through the marsh leading back to a strip of trees on the only high ground around. I came back with my waters and a few climbing sticks the next week, and after about a half-mile walk through knee-to-chest-deep swamp, made it out and up into a medium-sized oak for an evening's sake. Saw a monster buck, but that's another story. Shooting time came and went, and just as I'm lowering my bow down, I hear the most blood-chilling sound I've heard in the woods. I can only describe it as a mountain lion crossed with someone being murdered, along with growling, hissing, and crashing. It first started about 50 yards off, and of course, as darkness fell, the sound inched closer and closer to my tree. At this point, I'm losing it, trying to convince myself the odds of a cougar this far south are pretty slim, but that didn't help thinking about what the alternatives might be. Well, it finally reached my tree, and I was able to light it up with my phone flash. Last week, I decided to go camping at a nearby national park. 
I'm an experienced camper, and I had camped this particular spot dozens of times. I parked in the designated parking spot for campers and grabbed my gear. I headed off into the wilderness. I normally like to get away from people. I can cover 20 miles in a day, but I don't normally do that every time. I had been walking for about five hours, so I was a five-hour hike from my car. I knew I was far from the normal tourists and family gatherings. That was my intention. It was close to sundown and was starting to get dark. Walking along the trail in the forest, it gets pitch black really quickly. I had not seen another person for a few hours. I had a pretty good idea that I was alone, and the chances of coming across another camper were small, as late as it was and as far off as I was. I was walking to where I was going to set up my tent for the night, and I could only see about ten feet in front of me, and it was getting darker by the minute. Eventually, it would be pitch black. There are no lights out there off the grid. Normally, the only light is from your fire or flashlight or cell phone. As I was walking, I heard what sounded like footsteps coming just beyond my available light. Off in the trees, about 40 yards away, I stopped to listen and try to figure out what it was. I stood there scanning the distance, but the noise had stopped. I then spotted what looked like a dark figure standing behind or next to a tree. I couldn't tell which. Whatever it was was just standing there. I couldn't make out the shape very well, so I, I thought it was a deer. I stood there quiet, looking at it. I have to admit, being alone and so far from any help, I was a little spooked. I've heard stories of murderers who attack unsuspecting campers or hikers in some national parks because of how vast the area is and how vulnerable the people are being far away from civilians. I stood there for a few minutes, scared that it was going to start coming towards me. I was not sure what it was. I didn't know if it was a wild animal. Those can attack humans, too. I decided to turn around, keeping my eyes on the mysterious dark figure. I was scared that it was going to follow me. I knew I couldn't walk all night, five hours back to my car in the dark. I was tired, and I didn't want to make any light. My plan was to stay quiet and lay on the ground until dawn. I would sleep if everything was kosher. I walked about a football field away until I could not see it and unrolled my sleeping bag. I laid there looking in that direction and listening. About 45 minutes went by and I heard the footsteps in the distance. My heart began racing because I could not see anything at this point. I didn't know if it was an animal. Whatever it was would take a few steps and stop, take a few steps and stop, over and over. I couldn't see, but from the direction of the noise, whatever it was walked to my side about 15 yards away, then crossed in front of me, then stopped. It was very close. My heart was beating so fast. I was sure it could hear me breathe. It kept going as it crossed in front of me and walked further away. Whatever it was had come very close to me. I laid there too scared to move. I couldn't hear anything. For all I knew, it was standing still right by me. I heard no noises, no human sounds or animal, only the sound of leaves and sticks being walked on. From the time that it crossed in front of me and headed off away from me, and the time I couldn't hear anything, I managed to get my nerves enough to get up and keep walking back to my car. I did not hear or see anything since hearing it come close to me as it crossed my path and head off in the other direction. 
I made it to my car, and there were other cars. The sun was close to coming up, and I fell asleep in my car. I could hear people talking and kids laughing as I slept, so I knew it was okay. I know not any blood and guts, but still very creepy. I still don't know what it was. Could have been an animal. I'm just glad that it didn't find me. I remember the time when I was in second grade, returning to school from my lunch hour. As I walked near a clump of trees in a field, I encountered a strange little figure about my own height, standing at just under four feet. The figure had an unusual greenish tone to its skin and was barefoot. Next to it was a round thing from which I assumed the entity had emerged, although I didn't witness this happening. The entity started jabbering at me in a language I couldn't understand. It then took out an object from a belt around its waist, resembling some kind of gun, and squirted a putty-like substance into the palm of its hand. I noticed that the entity had long fingernails that looked like claws. It handed the putty to me, and I was confused by the whole encounter, so I started to move away. When I turned back to look again, both the man and the object had vanished mysteriously. Later on, I confided the bizarre story to one of my teachers. They questioned me about the putty which I showed them. The putty was yellowish with green flecks, about one eighth inch thick and roughly the size of a golf ball. It had a quite hard texture. As I was about to leave, the teacher noticed the object on the ground nearby. It seemed to have definitely shrunk in size. I put it back in my pocket and that was the last anyone saw of it. I live in the northern end region of Germany's Black Forest, and even though the region is nothing in comparison to United States rural areas, or even rural German areas, it still has. It's quiet and dark roads. So I am at a school event that went on until late night. You could call it a prom kind of thing, and I take the last bus to my village at 1, 36 a.m. in the town where my school is. The bus ride takes 30 minutes and we're a good 20 minutes into the ride. Aside from me, the driver and one guy who was almost at sleep, the bus is empty. It's the road we're driving on. It's the forest stretch right before my village, and it's pitch black. Nothing to see. The bus comes around a corner, and in the middle of the road is a vehicle, Gray Audi A3, with hazards on and both front doors open. The bus driver brakes hardly and comes to a stop right behind the car. Nobody to see, nothing to hear, just the engines running. The bus driver turns around in his seat and opens his mouth to speak when suddenly this woman comes out of the woods, running towards the bus doors. Bus driver, sleepy, or now awake. Guy and I just watch as she starts to hammer against the bus doors, screaming like some kind of animal. Bus driver slams into reverse and then drives away, almost slamming the driver door of the car. We speed through the forest, and at the first stop in civilization, he phones the police and some of his colleagues to inform them. I still don't know what the hell was going on there, but I've heard from friends that they've seen similar things. Gray Audi with hazards on, in various parts of the county they and I live in, 
still creeps me out, and I normally try to take the bus earlier than midnight or sleep over when I'm away. On Upper Magnetic Mine Road, my friend and I, Harold Eglin, were exploring the area as my friend decided to meditate. I decided to walk away and take in view of the nearby reservoir. It was then that I noticed something strange. Large and glowing slanted green eyes and large hairless heads floating through the wood several yards away. There were five of them, and I couldn't see their bodies, just their eerie heads. I called out to my friend, and she saw them too. We both stopped moving, feeling a sense of unease. I aimed my large flashlight at them, and in that very moment, the immediate scenery around us changed. Branches appeared in front of us that hadn't been there just a split second before. It was all very surreal and unnerving. A barking black dog was getting closer to us, and with fear in our hearts, we quickly ran back to our rented car. We decided to stay inside for over an hour, hoping whatever we had witnessed would go away. During that time, all we saw were raccoons crossing the road in front of us, almost like a strange parade. It was a baffling and eerie experience that stayed with us for a long time. I remember the strange case of Yabi Gistabode, who had gone missing, and later they found him sitting in a bush, appearing to be in a stupor. When they found him, he seemed to be in good health, but the experience had left him shaken. He told us, his family members, a bizarre tale of encountering a man with a square body whom he believed to be an alien. This mysterious man had urged him to go to a strange place. The night before his disappearance, Yabi was dressed in white and seemed to be floating just above the ground. His wife recalled touching his shirt, and it turned black before her eyes. Yabi then passed out, and the incident left everyone puzzled and worried. Then on the 20th, he vanished again, only to be found 11 days later walking towards his home. The strange thing was that his eyes were closed, and he was communicating through sign language. His wife was the one who saw him become invisible on the second night of his disappearance, right before her eyes. It was a bewildering and unnerving experience for all of us. And even though Yabi was found physically fine, the whole incident left us with more questions than answers. To this day, we wonder about the true nature of the events that occurred during his disappearances and what really happened during those mysterious encounters with the square-bodied man and the strange place he was urged to go to. My mom told me a story about my grandfather that you might find interesting. My grandfather was born in Mexico in the 1920s but grew up in Los Angeles. He was a World War II vet or Purple Heart recipient and deeply religious, so much that he built a large altar in his living room where he could kneel and pray each day, complete with statues of the Virgin Mary and Jesus and candles, incense, etc., when I was a kid, I thought this was a normal thing in all grandparents' houses. Because my grandfather was so religious that he basically never lied, from what I'm told, due to his deep faith. 
Well, apparently, when he was younger, in his 20s, I believe, and perhaps less devout, he and a friend of his were driving and saw an attractive young woman walking down the street. They only saw her from behind and apparently drove up next to her to call out to her. But when she turned around, she had a horse's face, like a real horse's head or face. They allegedly screamed and hit the gas and drove off. As I was told, it was one of the events he personally witnessed that led him to be so religious. I once saw a goat man. I will never forget his two half-inch long teeth and the way he spoke. It was at a concert at Pine Knob in Michigan. I was walking through the crowd and I heard a voice nearby that sounded unnatural and was just wrong. I turned my head and saw him eight, ten feet away. It was the most surreal experience I've had, especially because nobody else noticed or was bothered by this thing. in the vast expanse of Yellowstone National Park. I found myself embarking on an expedition with a group of scientists to uncover its hidden mysteries. Armed with state-of-the-art equipment and driven by my insatiable curiosity, I eagerly ventured into the heart of the wilderness, oblivious to the horrors that lay ahead. As a geologist, I had always been captivated by the park's geological wonders. Little did I know that my passion for discovery would soon transform into a nightmarish ordeal. During our exploration, we stumbled upon a concealed cave that had remained untouched for centuries. Inside, we discovered peculiar markings etched on the walls, symbols that defied any explanation we could muster. The air in the cave was laden with an unsettling presence sending shivers down my spine. Despite the growing unease among my colleagues, I couldn't resist my scientific curiosity and insisted on delving deeper into the cave. With each step, the atmosphere became heavier, and the temperature seemed to plummet inexplicably. Bizarre noises echoed through the narrow passages, and the very walls seemed to pulsate with an ominous energy. As we pressed on, the markings on the cave walls began to convey a chilling tale, a story of an ancient and malevolent entity that had been trapped within its confines for centuries. Initially, we dismissed it as local folklore, attributing the stories to the imaginative tales of tribes in the area. However, as the days passed, our skepticism waned, replaced by an overwhelming sense of dread. Strange occurrences started to plague our team. Vivid nightmares invaded our sleep, and eerie whispers seemed to echo in our ears. Even when no one was speaking, deep within the cave, the unsettling phenomena intensified. Our scientific equipment malfunctioned, and the walls seemed to pulse with an inexplicable malevolence. I struggled to maintain my rationality, but the events unfolding before us defied all logical explanations. One harrowing night, as we gathered around a campfire, the malevolence in the cave peaked. It felt as if the very walls were closing in on us, and an overwhelming darkness enveloped the atmosphere. Suddenly, a blood-curdling scream pierced the air, and one of our team members vanished into thin air, leaving us stunned and terrified. Fear gripped us, and we knew we had to escape the clutches of the cave. Yet the malevolent entity was relentless, 
toying with our minds and exploiting our deepest fears and regrets. Hallucinations and delusions haunted us, making it impossible to distinguish reality from nightmare. With each passing day, our group fractured as each scientist sought their own means of escape from this living nightmare. Guilt weighed heavily on my shoulders, for it was I who had led us into this forsaken place. I became consumed by the need to decipher the ancient symbols, hoping to find a way to banish the malevolent presence once and for all. But the entity was cunning, and it preyed upon my desperation. Whispers crept into my mind, promising knowledge and power beyond comprehension, all in exchange for my soul. I teetered on the brink of madness torn between my scientific mind and the allure of forbidden knowledge. In a moment of desperation, I made a decision that would seal my fate. Driven by the desire to save my team and uncover the secrets of the cave, I made a pact with the ancient entity. In that haunting moment, darkness consumed me, and I became one with the malevolence that had haunted the cave for centuries. The rest of the team, now fractured and traumatized, finally managed to escape the cave's clutches. Yet we carried the horrors we had witnessed with us, haunted by the knowledge that something ancient and evil now roamed the wilds of Yellowstone National Park. Years passed and the cave remained undisturbed, its secrets locked away from the world. My name, Dr. Emily Carter, became a whispered cautionary tale among the scientific community, a stark reminder of the perils of pursuing forbidden knowledge. But deep within the cave, the malevolent presence still stirred, biding its time, waiting for the day it could break free from its ancient prison and unleash its horrors upon the world once more. And so, the tale of Yellowstone's hidden horrors endures, a chilling reminder of the darkness that lurks beneath the surface, waiting to ensnare the foolhardy and the curious alike. In late August, 1986, or possibly 87, I'm not sure which, I drove four friends up from Portland to the south side of Mount Hood to spend three days on the trail that goes round the mountain. We were all 17 or so, and there were two other couples and myself. On the second day, we had made it only to the east side of the mountain going clockwise. I think it was called Sherwood Camp. We found the campsite late and decided to set up on our own near a creek on the opposite side of the trail from the campground sign. A hundred yards or so off the trail in a fairly level open part of the forest. There was a creek nearby, there were huckleberries out, and we set up our three tents close together. The next morning I got up about five, thirty, but noticed from my tent flap the others had all slept in. Some movement about seventy feet away in the berry bushes and evergreens caught my eye. I saw a large, light, beige-colored creature, all covered with hair seven to eight fall, its back to me, trying to reach something. A branch, I guess, about fifteen feet off the ground. Not more than ten feet away was this other creature, the same, but small all covered with hair except for the front of the hands, the bottoms of the feet, and around the eyes. The second one was only about three feet high and was bending over, picking up a stick, which it was trying to put in its mouth. The little one was a bit darker in color, a dark beige. 
The hair on both was up to four inches long at most. The big one was really thick set. I could not make out any of the front of the hands, the bottoms of the feet, and around the eyes. The second one was only about three feet high and was bending over, picking up a stick which it was trying to put in its mouth. The little one was a bit darker in color, a dark beige. The hair on both was up to four inches long at most. The big one was really thick-set. I could not make out any of the front of her because she was turned away from me almost the whole time, about a minute. I thought she was the little one's mother. She gave a kind of grunt at the little one like she didn't want him doing that, and he dropped the stick. At that moment, I was on all fours, leaning out of the tent, trying to see better, and my hand popped on a twig, and the big one looked right at me. But all she did for a second was grunt again at the little one, and she reached down, stepped over, and took his hand. It was like she was motioning for him to go with her, and looked in my direction one more time, grunted softly again, and they were gone behind the trees. Their faces were like an ape around the lips and jaws, you know. Their jaws jutted out a bit. Their heads weren't pointed, but I could see by the bare patches around the eyes and skin. On the hands, their skin was a kind of brownish gray. My friends never saw anything, but after we hitched, hiked back to the jeep and were on the way out. I slowed down for a ranger, and he stopped to make sure we were okay. He was an older guy. I didn't get his name. He had gray hair and a bit of a paunch. He was a nice guy. He said this was his first season doing this. And when I told him what I had seen, his eyebrows kind of went up. I didn't report this to anybody else. When I asked for other details, Kay added, Well, when she walked away, she sort of waddled from side to side a bit. When I asked her about smell, she replied nothing that I could tell. Did you look for tracks? No. I was a little scared. We just all got up and packed up after breakfast, and I didn't even want to go over there. All in all, it was a kind of scary but really fascinating thing. The whole thing couldn't have taken more than a minute. A minute and a half at most. But it seemed like five. The details really stuck in my mind. Kay told me there had been no alcohol or drugs and was sure of what she had seen. She said her friends died sometime after that in a car crash, but that that ranger might remember. Around a week and a half ago, I was in Ocean City, New Jersey, and it was around midnight. I decided to take a stroll to the beach to enjoy a cigar and relax. As I gazed out over the ocean, I noticed something unusual. Fourteen bright objects that looked like stars. These objects were perfectly round and resembled any other star you'd see in the night sky. However, they were all flying and dancing around each other in a mesmerizing display. Some of them flickered while most emitted a steady bright light. These objects flew in curves and circles, and at one point they all converged closely before suddenly dispersing in all directions. I looked around, hoping to find someone to ask about these mysterious objects, but there wasn't a single soul in sight. I stood there for over ten minutes, captivated by the silent performance in the sky. Their flight patterns resembled how gnats or bugs move with no discernible order or pattern. These objects weren't like any known aircraft, not helicopters, airplanes, satellites, meteors, or comets. 
One of them caught my attention when it flew towards the horizon, turned around, and rapidly approached me. It passed right by, flying westward over the beach, the Ocean City Strip, and finally disappeared into the bay far out to the west. The speed and maneuverability of these objects left me in awe. I contemplated going back to my house to fetch my phone and return to the beach to capture this extraordinary sight, but I feared they might be gone by then. The round trip would have taken too long, and I didn't want to miss anything. The next day, curious to see if anyone else had witnessed the same thing, I searched on YouTube and looked for articles about Ocean City UFO. But to my surprise, there was nothing. No videos, no articles. It seemed like nobody else had seen what I had experienced. This is the first time I've shared this encounter. While I hesitate to claim that these objects were aliens, they were undoubtedly UFOs to me, simply unidentified flying objects, as I couldn't determine their origin or nature. It remains a mystery, and I still have no idea what they were. It was the strangest and most awe-inspiring sight I've ever witnessed in my life. At the age of 11, my family moved to a large two-story house that overlooked some foothills about 30 miles west of Mount Rainier. Around 2011, I started seeing strange things there. In one instance, I was watching late-night TV with my mom and had my attention caught by what looked like a really bright star in the east by the mountain. I stared at it for about three minutes before the star suddenly dropped straight down into the foothill. I stood up and shouted, scaring my mom. She didn't believe me, but I know what I saw. The second most bizarre occurrence has happened after my girlfriend at the time moved in with my family. On three separate occasions, my girlfriend and I were startled by incredibly bright flashes of light in the dead of night that illuminated every corner of whatever room we were in at the time, almost like a camera flash or a lightning strike. The only thing is, we were on the second floor of the house every time, and there were no trees or roofing near any of the windows that would have allowed someone to take a photo without a ladder, but there was nothing when I'd rush over to the windows. They also only happened on hot summer nights, where there wasn't a single cloud in the sky which rules out the possibility of lightning. We both saw the flashes every time, and could never rationalize what they could have been.